With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I've got to say happy anniversary because my wife told me to, and if I don't, <laughs> I'll, forget, I'll get in trouble, um, which, which is a constant thing. Thank you. This is our, 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 this is our late version, 7.30. Oh, let's forget What can we get? We're beyond the watershed I, edition. I was watching the uh, the USFL this weekend where they've mic'd up the players, which, which they probably should have done at home on, on, on Saturday. But it's not a great idea because they swear all the time, these American footballers. But unlike um, the, N- the NRL, where Sky apologizes, they forget to apologize. I mean, there's let them say whatever they want which is brilliant interesting is the BBC and the Challenge Cup that have done that in previous years they've actually mic'd up the players haven't they that would have been oh, good be, Ashton Sims became a star didn't he <laughs> yeah. Come on, and somebody has to edit it edit out all the swear words <laughs> by half time have they yeah. Rath Louis he could do that yeah as he said the uh, the prettiest looking water boy in the land oh. is, is, <laughs> is that a poll Should we have, do we open it up to the public is Louis McCarthy stars with the prettiest water boy in the rugby league well isn't that all so the is, is this our version of Derek and Clive when they were drunk? <laughs> oh, you won't know that reference. It's a cultural reference. Well, I don't get it, I must admit. No, no. Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. I've heard of them, yeah. Did a, did a parody, Derek and Clive, which okay. was very funny. Right. Except they also did a couple of bootleg albums where they were recorded when they were absolutely paralytic. <laughs> where there was very little content other than just the constant barrage of swearing. But at a certain point in time, they were cult listening. Almost sounds like we should. That's an end of season podcast, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> that was one of the words they said a lot on that. Yes, yeah, possibly yeah. misheard. Yeah. I mean, that, that was. I mean, that's, I think that's still my highlight of the season. Is going to because you've been to a million season launches. You ask the same questions over and over, and you go to Cameron Smith. What's it like being a cult? That kind of thing. I'm not sure what he just said there. But. Oh, it's not as bad as what. Well, Listening to Robbie Hunter Paul yesterday talking about decades, but in his accent, he sounded like something completely. <laughs> Which wasn't his fault. Certainly wasn't talking about anyone else on the panel on the BBC, who I thought, you know, were great this weekend. Um, <laughs> well, should we? Uh, Jamie's asked us about the trial. We'll come up to the trial in a bit because it's all tied into one another, isn't it? A, a busy weekend for the match review panel. 
um, who have sat this afternoon, this morning, and released their findings for everyone to slag off on, on social media, because that is what people do. Um, great line from Jamie Peacock about the people you, you can't argue with and win. Teenage daughters don't have one. Referees, you, you were one. You, you can't argue with referees, can you? Because they're not going to change. You're not going to change your mind, are you? Once you've decided that some players done something naughty. Referees have no, have been known to change their mind, but only as a result of information coming from a touch judge or a video referee. Not and, a, not a never, player. Never from a player. <laughs> so that's you know everybody knows that, but you know it, does it does it still go on? Yeah, it does, as we saw on Saturday. But how many forward passes did you give on the advice of the South Stand? That's the well, <laughs> they would they, they would suggest plenty <laughs> against the opposition and maybe a never. Again. I don't know, you know. Um, Josh yeah. Griffin, without being flippant, <clears throat> other contrary behaviour, which you understand from the way it's been worded, is, is calling into account the impartiality of a match official, which you can't do. Yeah, he's questioned his integrity, and that's what the minutes say, that's isn't it? And and yeah, there's, there is no safer guarantee for a player to be red carded than to question the integrity of a, re- a referee. It's but what was bizarre being there? Was first it was after the hooter had gone for half time, yeah. and in Rishi, originally he's given a yellow card. So clearly he's gone over there, let his feelings be known. Clearly got no change, but there's no play going on. Yeah. So to then go back and get that yellow turned into a red, there can only be one person culpable for that. Yeah, and that is the player themselves. And the the, the shame is that you know he, he again was probably arguably. Maybe Texoy Hull's best player in that opening 40 minutes. And we have seen, particularly this weekend, that having 12 players doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose. In fact, there's one team that did remarkably well. <laughs> well we've talked about that before. We talked but about in this case, the week, didn't we, it winning? did cost his team the game. Yeah, I mean, I will go back, just because I've said this on record before around particular incidents in games. You know, Hull was still capable of winning that game. Yeah. As we saw at the weekend, yeah. Wigan played... What seventy four minutes with twelve men? Yeah, Leeds at Wigan a few weeks ago won with twelve men. <clears throat> so it can happen. It does happen. So to blame Josh Griffin, in my opinion, is is wrong. Did it have an influence on the outcome? Without doubt. Yeah. The only thing with that is that again, watching the way St Helen. See, the thing about Warrington not winning with twelve men is that they didn't play very well. They didn't exploit Agreed. that. What St Helens did was they hit where. Hull were weakest and they actually won the game in the third quarter when they got two tries hitting the areas roughly where Josh Griffin would have been defending so it's not necessarily that you're playing with or without an extra player it's how you exploit that and St Helens were good enough to do that Agreed and and look don't get me wrong it it, it makes it so much more difficult to defend when you've got 12 as opposed to 13 but it has been done before I mean yeah, there's a couple of points I would make on this. Is that you know people will say, well, they'll go back to the decision. Was the decision right or wrong to penalise for the ball steal? Well, I, I would just say irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it was right or wrong. Uh, I don't think the video evidence is, is conclusive in, in it either way, to be honest. So, but it, it's it's immaterial. A decision has been given that a player does not like. I've given decisions. You've seen lots of examples where decisions are being given that are actually correct, and the player still doesn't like it, and then will object. Now, I haven't, but Hooter's not now gone, so you can't then blow a penalty. So that, exactly. that option's that taken away yeah. away from him. Josh Griffin sought the referee out. He went to him. He initiated the 
the discussion, even if it was a, a one-sided discussion. <laughs> uh, and it was given a yellow card, and that would have been the end of it. That should have been the end. Yeah. That's a pr- I mean, again, if you if you're a slightly hot-headed teenage player just making your way in the game, but but you know, Josh has been Hull's best player for the last two or three weeks. He say so had a huge impact in that first half, but he's a very experienced player. I, I don't know why. He had to go back a second. You know, if he got the yellow card and he spent the first ten minutes on the sidelines, he's already harming his team. Mm. What on earth possesses you when you're an experienced guy? He just lost the plot. He lost the plot, and you know, he won't be the first, and he he isn't the first, and he won't be the last. But no doubt, behind the scenes, I mean, it was interesting at the halftime, showing the camera in the dressing room of. Gareth Ellis and Jason Davison, I think, more or less informing Tony Smith, who's probably missed it, what's ha- what's happened, um, and that must have been a bit of a bombshell for Tony Smith. But Tony know, was great in the press conference. Yeah, he, there's he, no he, doubt that some profanities have been said. I don't know the detail of it, but I trust the referee wouldn't send anyone off without a good reason. So we'll just have to wear it. Yeah, I, and you can't say fairer than that. Hats off, and you know, yeah, lucky. Yeah, I think you could see again on that on that camera because they showed in the second half, didn't they, when Saints had started to score? Griffin in the dressing room with presumably his partner and 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 child, and you know he looked upset and understandably, you know, and I, I'm sure he will have learned a huge lesson. The club will have learned a lesson from it in terms of the wider team. But you know, for people to then go on social media and to blame the referee is just utter, utter dross and madness. I mean, even I got a message direct on my <laughs> it's your my Instagram. Somebody chose to message me on my Instagram to basically almost ask for Chris Kendall's telephone number in order to, so he could then abuse him. I mean, it's just utterly absurd. But what does a club have a responsibility to step in and say, "Look, you're representing us as a fan of this club. We're not standing for it. You, you're going to be." You have a season ticket revoked for the remainder of this season, or you're not going to be welcome at the because we have to do something. Yeah, arguably yes. I mean, the difficulty is with some accounts. Some people don't want to put the names to them. No. But I was always amazed when, like this person did at the weekend, was quite happy to put their name to something to then abuse the, the recipient of it. And I had death threats through social media directed from people who were prepared to put their names to it, and police investigated it and attended the person that had done it. So. I, I mean, you know, it beggars belief that actually some people will be prepared to put their name to it, you know. But it's just twisted. It's a twisted mentality that mm. you seek to blame the referee for a player that has just abused the referee. And now clearly, people don't know what was said. Now we understand it's questioning the integrity. But actually, should it matter? No. You know, you can you can have an opinion on on Chris Kendall. You can have an opinion on any referee, whether you like them or dislike them, whether you agree with the decision or, or otherwise. But I, I just fail to see why you can you somehow support a player who's clearly spoken to the referee in a completely utterly inappropriate manner. The referee's tried one direction, That's it's failed, it's, and he's chosen it's the, he's to continue it. Twice. That's yeah. the thing that yeah. is even more unfathomable. I mean, I'd go the op- complete opposite way and to say I think Chris Kendall did an absolute service to the game live on the BBC yeah. where you've got a player giving the referee a spray. We now know it's questioning the integri- his integrity. And actually, Chris, instead of choosing to ignore it, that happens in, in other sports, which people generally or play, or do not like... Down, could have left it as a yeah, yellow. Yeah, he chose to... 
deal with it entirely correctly and and for me should be supported on it the other thing as well is that if found guilty with it being a grade F offence it would be a minimum six week ban yeah um, that's going to leave Hull again in you know short handed at a, at a time in the season now where it's really important for them to try and go on a run to, to try and make the six absolutely um, so it, it's just one of the most crass things I've ever seen. I mean, a, and then you and then you get into the realms of well, how does that compare to somebody who's thrown somebody and landed on the head? And <laughs> they're just different. You, yeah. you can't compare apples and oranges. They are different. One, you know, is one worse than the other? Well, that's for the match review panel to decide, and that's ultimately then for the RFL disciplinary to determine. Um, but you know, is it right that a player questions the integrity of a match official? Absolutely not. Well, we've also seen, as we predicted last week that Josh Maguire got his hefty ban and is on a plane out of yeah. the country which which you know I think is the right way that has been handled and I know there's some people saying oh well the evidence was some of it was redacted and, and the fact that the player and Warrington didn't appeal it tells us everything we need to know he yeah. knew that that would most likely be the end of his full time professional career um, but I don't think we've ever had a weekend of four quarter finals where three of them have had a man sent off no, I can't think of another time where no. that would have happened. But I think that, that's all a, for very different offences. I think it shows a reflection of the intensity of the games to some degree. You know the the pressure that perhaps players feel they're under, the pressure to get a result within the eighty minutes because you know they're a stepping stone away from 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 Wembley. I think maybe that you know puts an added pressure on players and makes them do things that they perhaps wouldn't do on another day. And two of the three. Um, are just bizarre in terms of the player themselves has tried to take the law as they see it into their own hand. The the, the third one, which will also carry a very hefty fine, is purely terrible technique. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in so, Kai in O'Donnell, so, yeah, he, yeah. he somebody who straight has away. been a great player so yeah. far this season. And it can go wrong. Tackles can go yeah. wrong. That, 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 you know, he's not intentionally spear tackled him it's a tackle that's gone wrong it's, it's reckless is it deliberate well no I, I would say it's not but that just still doesn't mean it's not a red card it's a completely utterly reckless tackle once he raises that cocks that sort of elbow up he, 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 he's you know he's, the, zone, the, the, the uh, player in possession is only ending up uh, in one direction really and he recognised himself the player didn't he O'Donnell mm-hmm. that, that he'd got it wrong and, and he really knew the outcome before the referee even got the got the card out of the pocket and Cade Ellis is one I don't understand either and you know early stage of the game six minutes in high intensity season potentially on the line for him because his contract's up at the end of the year lead with your head can only, can only lead to one course of action yeah again you know like we, we saw it in the grand final a few years ago didn't we when Wigan played St Helens and all that build up and Ben Flower and, and very early in the game where you know players are sort of pumped up and they've mm-hmm. come out of the dressing room and all that but again, it was a nothing situation, mm-hmm. and then Ellis goes and seeks Ratchford out. The sort of push, and then it ends up in that. It's just—I mean, if you're a coach, he's an absolute coach killer. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it, it didn't affect the result for Wigan, but people would have then pointed the finger at Cade Ellis had Wigan gone on and lost that game. So, yeah, I mean, he's gonna—he's gonna face a few games in terms of a ban as well. Three, isn't he? three matches of Grade three. D, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he gave up a goal line dropout. They've got to go line drop out from it and yeah. <laughs> lay the head on on Stephen Ratchford. Bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. Just back to Josh Griffin for a moment. We obviously just mentioned the other Josh and Josh Maguire. 
Uh, he didn't learn from his initial incident, which meant that he got a second longer ban. This will be the first one for Josh. And as well as the lengthy ban we're expecting, you'd also expect then some kind of education program in there as well, as, as Maguire got earlier in the season. But what's going to, going to get him on the line at a game or something? <laughs> Well, I, don't they do, I don't know whether in those situations they do put uh, players on a, on a course they may do, I'm not sure um, but you know I, I don't know what the reaction was post game I, I did a game once at Hull FC where uh, the, the stewards basically, and the head steward, the ground safety team advised me it was unsafe for me to leave the stadium and I had to have my car driven inside the ball stadium ball <laughs> to get out and that's the standard policy at the ground when they host a you know, football game for referees I physically couldn't leave the ground it was unsafe and that's not the first occasion that's happened I know that happened with Ian Smith at that same ground um, is it acceptable? no it's not it's totally unacceptable irrespective of of a referee's performance I may have p- performed badly on that day but actually f- really shouldn't matter yeah. well this goes back to the, the, the football issue at the moment with disaster chanting which is a terrible name for something that's been going on for 40, 50, yeah, 60 yeah. years when was the Munich air disaster? So, 58, so going back to at least then. And, and you can't tell me that in 2023, football clubs don't have the technology to be able to point out the people in their grounds who are chanting about this and that and the other various thing. I'm not saying that every rugby ground has the technology to do the same, but you'd be able to pick out or have an idea of who is, and especially on social media, abusing people, not just match officials, but opposition players, mm. and ban them, and, and set an example and say, look, we're not having it. And there was an example on social media, I think a couple of weeks ago, with Anthony Taylor, the football, football mm. referee that had gone to referee, was it the... Roma. Yeah, yeah the, the Europa, the Europa, League, final, Europa yeah, yeah. League final, that's right. And he was travelling through the airport with his, I presume his wife and his daughter, and they were they were verbally abused and then somebody chose to launch a, a chair towards them and, and rightly so people were horrified on social media um, was that because they, they, they it, was, it wasn't any English teams involved no it's because was it just Mourinho well, and who was getting punishment you know? <laughs> but just, which is why I think Tony Smith should be commended for without even knowing the facts of exactly what's happened immediately went into a yeah. press conference and couldn't and yeah. wouldn't support his player and by the way I would say this thing you know in terms of social media I suppose we shouldn't get carried away with those people that were, there were a lot of people on social media by the way sort of bagging Chris Kendall and the situation but I still maintain that the majority of people in rugby league would support the referee's actions and would support the the strong handling of dissent yeah. nobody in rugby league or I would say the majority of people that watch rugby league don't want to see it go down the avenue of football um, and, and it's often the minority isn't it in any social situation um, th- those that sort of shout the loudest get get heard Kevin uh, he, he's gone a bit Josh Griffin he says, it sounds gone lads and they say sorry it was me well <laughs> cheers, cheers Kevin um, there were some shocking tackles at the Lee York game says Kevin not only um, the man who was set up but Zach Hardaker here um, performing some kind of uh, manoeuvre on AJ Towns not quite sure what he only got a yellow card though so, so he's okay and uh, Les saying uh, how did Lee not have three sent off I suppose yeah, I, didn't, I didn't watch that game but Hardacre got a grade C and and then Teamby from York got a grade C and, and, and Tom Nisbet from Lee got a, a grade C with O'Donnell got, getting a D I so. think um, Nisbet's got a couple of games hasn't he mm. the other's got fines 
Uh, the only thing I saw from that game was the was the the O'Donnell tackle. Mm. Heat intensity. I mean, this is the. I think I've asked you this before. I'm going to ask you again anyway, because there is the insinuation, and especially when when Origin comes around, referees referee knockout games differently. Yeah, well, they don't. They don't really. I mean, certainly that saves the tournament. Look. You get to a major event like an Origin game, like a Challenge Cup final. The last thing you want to do is be blowing the pee out the whistle because nobody wants to see that. And it, and and at the end of the day, it's not just another fixture, is it? It's a major showpiece event. So if the referee can allow play to unfold, he will do. But ultimately, if play if players and teams are intent on, um, you know, misbehaving, then then the referee has really got no alternative if players don't respond to the. To the comms, I mean, I, I think the grand final I did in 2017, I, I, I didn't really give many penalties. I probably could count them on one hand. I probably, I don't think I gave a penalty for the first 30 minutes of the game, something like that. So, I mean, at least you turned up though, where Castleford didn't. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I think um, we saw that in the World Cup a bit, didn't we? That there was a, there, there wasn't an instruction to referees to referee it differently, but there was a slightly more laissez-faire attitude to just let the guys play. They all come from slightly different. Um, competitions yeah. that they're all refereed slightly differently on a week to week basis so you use a bit of not so much leniency but, but allow players to be told in a game what they might be doing wrong rather than instantly penalise yeah they were and, the, and that more or less is the sentiment that we discussed as a, as a group of officials for the World Cup that we were there to try and facilitate the entertainment for, for the general public at large across the world and there was a going to be a large terrestrial um, audience tuning in to those games and look, and it was a what a four week tournament something like that with players coming from all over the world with different you know referees different interpretations etc and coming together for a, a very short tournament the way in which you can referee a short tournament like that is not sustainable in a domestic mm-hmm. competition and in fact I don't know what the penalty count was in the first Origin game but there were a lot of penalties down that game for an Origin early game early on there were in the yeah. first half hour um, and so you know the, 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 the referees have sometimes been criticised in, in Origin games for not refereeing the game really in a way and and, and, and and you've got to strike that balance as a referee particularly with the rook that if you choose to ride with some slow rooks that it just doesn't descend and the game then becomes just so slow uh, and frustrating to watch, frustrating to play. So you've got to find a balance between talking to players, and if you can get a response, you get a response, and you keep keep the whistle in your pocket. But if you don't, then you then you come forward with the whistle. But look, that's just the art of refereeing. It's it's, it's not a science; it's an art. Well, why aren't you going to spend all the money then? No, because they've got to go there. One quarter spot, two quarter spots. Test Wakefield's hand on John. Well, Matt, Matt Lodge is, I think, being released by Sydney Roosters. I wouldn't be surprised if he might be somebody that they were interested. We'll see what happens. Comes with a bit of history. Oh, that, that's that perfect. That's history. Yeah. <laughs> when he can get his first ban. I mean, they go straight into. I mean, we not going to do worst thirteens or whatever. But Josh McGuire straight there into the yeah. first first thirteen of worst Super League signings in the history of the competition. Yeah. It's terrible. Played seven and had nineteen matches banned. <laughs> did anyone not the greatest investment I've ever made? Is it? No, one try. Oh well. Um, I mean, I don't want to stick the boot into Kevin because he's a Warrington fan, isn't he? But uh, he says we were shockingly bad. 
I thought we pinched at the end, which we would have done, but as usual, we blew it. Wigan deserved it, they wanted more. I think they'd have still been with 11 men. Uh, Chris uh, say Chris Roberts, Aka, Ted Fit. What does that mean? Uh, well drilled teams are clinical and ruthless and know how to manage games against 12 men. Unfortunately, my team didn't have any of that. Nearly pinched it, but a criminal forward pass summed us up. There's another thing about White, which you might not care about or not. Um, Jamie says the guitar time Willie Mason <laughs> he's in, or maybe he's in that t- he's in the team isn't he he's in the team um, Warrington still are the parent club of Toby King why did they allow him to play against them in the Challenge Cup I know the idea was he was going to stay with him but it sounds like he's not going to stay with him but why, I, that, that seems to be very that seems amateurish well, to even me. Seems amateurish. Dave Craven in the Daily Mirror interviewed him after the game and that, that sort of come out this morning and and even Toby King himself was surprised that he wasn't <laughs> stood down took that as a bit of a personal slight to show Warrington what he could do um, and in the end it bit them I, I think I mean if we're going to start with that game although I would say the one game that's gone under the radar is is arguably the, the performance of the round and that will be Hull KR mm. which is a, almost disappeared out of the four games because yeah. it was a midday kickoff in a city where another game was being played and uh, I don't think enough has been made of the fact that that is a fantastic result for Rovers and we'll come back to that because I honestly thought that Salford were a really good outside bet for getting to Wembley um, the thing about Warrington I think again is it highlights more than not getting through to the semi-final of the Cup that they're still at a psychological block when it comes to the really big games I think we said last week this will be a really good test of not necessarily what they might do in this competition but what they'll be asked to do further down the line when they've made the playoffs and we're into that knockout scenario again and they're coming up against a really good well-drilled team you can't be as expansive as you would like because you're not going to get the space that perhaps you would get in a in an ordinary league game what's your plan B and it just seems to me that without Josh Drinkwater they are very very one dimensional and that everything falls on George Williams but he can't pass it and kick it and mm-hmm. Um, arrange the, the, the attack on his own and I ju- if they'd have gone down fighting I could have understood it and it was clear that Wigan are extremely well drilled at virtually five drives and a kick for 74 minutes did it really well and the fact that their kicker was on great form as well meant that they turned the ball over where they wanted to and then relied on their great defence to, to pick but what, what did Warrington actually throw at them over that 74 minute period where they had the, how many times did they create an overlap I couldn't think of they one until the very last minute yeah. when they then threw a forward pass you know, we're assuming it's a forward pass and it was given as a forward pass I think the if you're watching it on the television the the angle of Peter Matauti's hands seemed to be that he's pushing the ball forward um, I don't I didn't hear too many complaints from Warrington fans that that cost them the game and they deserve to win it they, how can you not create enough when you've got that extra man and you want to be seen to be a team that could potentially win a title it's they, they, they are a bizarre side at the moment and they're so frustrate their supporters well we can sort of book the, the, the this thing well the, the phrase about um, form goes out the window when you have a derby game <laughs> or a cup game they kind of almost lived up to that didn't they which is but I think what it just showed was that their experience in big games uh, I appreciate the Warrington squad has changed. If we go back twelve yeah. months, it's changed. That squad yeah. has changed an awful lot. So they haven't, they haven't grown as a squad where they've gone to a major final or, 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 or 
on maybe lost a major game yet and so and I think that's maybe what advantage that Wigan had in their armour I think you're absolutely right in the way that Warrington played they clearly they clearly missed Drinkwater's influence but but I didn't see a forward that was looking to dominate no. the opposition to work off you know Paul Vaughan everybody quite rightly said has been one of the form forwards but you can't play the way he plays for an entire season and already he's probably played three quarters of an NRL season mm-hmm. so he's getting to the point where you can't just rely on him mm-hmm. but there was nothing else there, there was no Do other it, forward that was dominating the opposition you're right and I, I just wonder to what extent the, the pressure because I think Warrington were probably by most people the favourites in that game now, I wouldn't have been able to pick a winner, if I'm no, honest. No. Particularly with Wigan at home. But suddenly, with a flat man sent off after six <laughs> minutes, you then then people are thinking, well, this is almost a foregone, clun- con- foregone conclusion. And then the longer that Warrington don't really convert that advantage, the pressure but builds it, but on them. Even things like Matt Dufty's double, double well, that, movement. Yeah. Again, for an experienced guy who's played in the NRL, that's sheer panic at a point it where. Is. You're not playing the game; you're playing the expectation around. The and game. that's what I was sort of referring back to early on when I was saying about this is a Challenge Cup and mm. the differences that it has on a player, both whether that be foul play or descent, or in Dufty's case, that which was just stupid. Yeah. You know, and you know, this, you could see the reaction down Powell. Like everybody in the ground knew it was a double movement. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? But so that shows you right that he's not got that composure that you need to have in those big games and that was a big game for Warrington this is where I ask the Warrington fans because obviously I don't know anything of that I'm here to ask questions to get the answers so Josh Drinkwater as you, you've pointed out he's not playing he's a key part of this machine George Williams can't do everything uh, and as this point we pointed out by Kevin feel sorry for Williams he tries every game he, of course he does so you haven't got a six you put Peter Matanti in there who's not a six do, do, would you move Stefan Ratchford then does that mean you, you're moving too many players around because you've got to put somebody else at full back Riley Dean's on loan at Castleford. Obviously, can't bring him back. But who plays six? Who well, who, who stands next to or near Williams to let Williams? Well, do Williams will play six. So you've got to find somebody to play well, seven. seven in but when opinion. you when you pre-season or going into a season, when you plan a squad, yep. you have a squad yep. for a reason. Yep. It's not a set, just a thirty-man game or even a seventeen-man game. It's a twenty-five, twenty-eight-man game. And you know they should have had a plan going into the season, yeah. knowing that well, if Drinkwater's injured, this will happen, and if and if Williams is injured, this I, this. And clearly, you know? they don't rate Riley Dean enough to keep mm. him in that first team environment. That they were happy for him to go to Featherstone and then come back and now go to Castleford. Clearly, they don't think he measures up. They didn't think Morgan Smith did. But this is where, you, if you have that, a reserve system, well, it's also where your recruitment is wrong because you yeah. cannot rely on Drinkwater and Williams to play no. in every game in a season, no. however good they are. And, but also, you know, if you if you look at Roby and what's going to happen with Roby next year, he's finishing. St Helens have to find a replacement now. If that's going to be Daryl Clark, which is what the rumor is, but Roby was always going to retire, so you have to have a transition mm-hmm. plan in the same well, way that it, you, you, you. And it's not just Roby retiring; it's that in a year or two after him, they'll lose people like Makinson and mm-hmm. Percival and Lomax. Yeah. There, you know, that, that that is the issue for teams like Manchester United mm-hmm. in football. Dare, dare I say? Leads because people laugh when I say that. That when that golden generation mm. retires, what you've got is a void mm. because the the problem you've had is that you can't keep hold of youngsters who are talented because they're never going to get an opportunity. Yeah. So you miss the crop. You let go some of the people that then play very well at other clubs, 
and you have to rebuild and rebuilding could take anything between five and seven years yeah but I see that's where for me but I don't think Warrington I think they've gone out and signed some good players mm. but there's some holes in that squad yeah. that was going to come and bite them at some point I, I, I think you know official man of the match um, Harry Smith because again he was extremely influential in the way he took his team but for me Ethan Havard was different class oh, awesome. mm. and um, you can see why the NRL were interested in him as one of the next crop of youngsters it's brilliant that we're going to immediately the day after re-sign him and that, that might again be to do with the marquee extension which we were told was to stop young players going to the NRL I hope that you know if that's how it's being used brilliant that Avard's going to be in front but there's a you know j- just to counter your argument of the pressure of um, players in a cup tie and not being used to winning those big games those Warrington players are far more experienced than Ethan Havard is but he looked absolutely made for that yeah, game but sometimes it's amazing that youth in the same way that you see when you ever go skiing you see kids of age like three do and we, four I brought my do we, walking do down we the yeah. like skiing yeah, well I've only ever been skiing <laughs> once but you see young children flying down the slopes without, without an element yeah. of fear and that's what I'm trying to say that actually Sometimes when you are inexperienced, you don't have that same level of pressure and expectation. Yeah. And he knew he was going to be playing long minutes because yeah. they'd lost a, a forward. So yeah. he, you know, he might have played the odd ten minutes here or twenty minutes there, mm-hmm. but he was going to play virtually as, as long as he was standing. He'd be out there, and maybe he thrived on that. But again, it, it, it's almost as if where was the Warrington player who took the lead of Ethan Havard and said, "I've got to match mm-hmm. that kid because if if he's just a young lad and he's doing this." I'm a bit more experienced than him. I need mm. to up my game, and they and they couldn't. Yeah. Which for Daryl Powell must be extremely worrying because he's taken them from being I need to change the entire squad so we haven't got the right mentality to I now think I've got the right players. We're playing a lot better. We're in a better position than we were this time last year. To now still be in question about have they got the mentality? True, but again, I would say you know we mentioned this last week. What Warrington are second in the table? Yes, they've lost in the quarter final. They're in a far, far better position they than they were last year, and this is not this is not going to get fixed in twelve months. No, the, you know, if they go on and win a grand final, that will be an unbelievable achievement. Yeah, and people based forget, on what they did last year. Forget this game. So look, it's it's a, it's a, you you don't come in as a new coach and expect to change it within within twelve months, even two years. I would say so. The, and the only saving grace was Josh Dulles, who was fantastic. Mm. As Chris has said as well, mm. uh, maybe they could sign Grant Millington. To play halfback. That's, that's a, from the Dal Powell play. I think Philip Quarter's fine. Might, might be cheap, but don't he? he might play before Luke Gale does. I'd stick Ryan Sheridan out. <laughs> Maybe Darrell. What do you mean? But they did, they did seem a little bit threadbare in mm. that Peter Metautia has some great strengths. He's clearly someone who knows what Darrell wants because he, he specifically recruited him from Castleford. He's versatile. But I think even he would admit he's not a playmaker. And when you've got. Um, that extra man to exploit it just seemed like square pegs again in, mm. in rounds so, so Captain Hindsight here sits here and says what a waste of money Josh Maguire was you could have spent it on a halfback or something or some cover well what, what I would say is being at Hull um, they are going to get great value out of Jake Truman because clearly he's coming back from an extremely long and difficult recuperation process for you know, a really bad ACL injury but every week he's doing a little bit more dominating a little bit more taking the team around the field a little bit more and they didn't have Jake Clifford this week and Truman still was a very very important player for them that's the kind of player that Mm. maybe Warrington should have been looking at 
Amazing flashback during the commentary as I was watching on the telly when uh, Ben Curry was getting close to the line and, and Dave Wood says he's dropped the ball. I thought, uh, Craig Murdoch was back in my ear from that final at Wembley when uh, Danny Houghton made that tackle 52. Um, will he be Warrington's year? We don't know. Uh, they, as, Not in the cup. As James says, the second, the second in Super League. Um, talking about Hull then, on the pitch... Um, St Helens they are, they're back now we've been saying for weeks St Helens are back and they're back and they're in the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup beating Hull 32-8 you were there then for, yeah, for BBC Radio Merseys you have to put on a Hull accent no, no. nor even a, a uh, Liverpoolian no. accent the thing about Saints is I think that's the first time in more than anybody could remember where they've named an unchanged team and it looked as though it was a machine that was well oiled going through the gears they didn't play as well as they would like to have played and as well as they'd played in the previous two games but certain players in certain positions just made sure that they won that game Johnny Lomax made a defensive mistake to let Tex Hoy get away after that almost impeccable in the way he took his team around James Batchelor is, is proving to be one of the best and most consistent second rowers in the game that you know him and Curtis Sirenin together is as good as second row pairing in terms of your work rate and your skill set um, they knew that they had again some defensive um, issues when they lost both of their centres and had to put second rowers there but because they all know their job um, what they lacked in s- speed that, that you know Mark Percival would have had and Tommy Makinson would have had they made up for with game sense knowing the position to be in so there was a vulnerability wherever Conrad Horrell defends there's a little bit of a vulnerability so when he's then moved out to the wing and there's a, a you know, second rower playing inside him that's why Hull even with 12 men got some change out of attack but Saints never buckled um, and I, I just think again they're, they're in a place at the moment whereby they're picking from strength they might lose a couple of players to, to injury but you really wouldn't bet against them at the moment they could not break Hull down and and, and again I, Tony Smith absolutely right Hull fans absolutely right match Saints in a lot of areas but matching them wasn't enough to beat them over the full 80 minutes and um, you just cannot fail to be impressed with you know, Jack Wellsby probably didn't have his most dominant game. Uh, missed a high ball that led to a try that gave him a few jitters towards the end. But then he immediately went and scored a try, which is what great players do. Mm. He, you know, he, when that move was unfolding, Wellsby knew exactly what play he was coming into the line and what he want, what he wanted from the service for that ball to crash on and score. And he, he didn't try and get overly involved and overplay he just went I, I've sized it up hollow week there it'll probably be about the fourth tackle when um, the defence has been pulled from the right to the left I need to hit that hole at pace and he will have told somebody that he was coming onto it that's what class players do they do make mistakes but it's how they then rectify them and, uh, and, and that's why Saints were so impressive I agree I thought it was just a professional uh, you know pretty workmanlike professional performance really it wasn't a it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was said last week it doesn't have to be in the cup, does it? It's about the result, and uh, not necessarily the performance. Um, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> there were some comments, weren't there, by um, Lamb, uh, um, Adrian Lamb, about the cup draw being known before the game. So I don't, 
I don't know if that was insinuating that because they'd drawn St Helens it was almost like well what's the point I don't know um, I don't, I don't know did it give York an advantage that they could be playing today? but why didn't you even do it at half time of a game that's in the balance what I didn't I mean it's give it you know you want the biggest audience to see it and there's a narrative then running through it the bit I didn't understand was doing the 1895 draw before the York League game had finished because that was done on local radio so it wasn't even in the glare of BBC publicity but then when the draws made people were going but if you're winning, they're ahead at half time. They won't be in the 1895 Cup semi final because they've got to play in the Challenge Cup semi final. Yeah. And then if they win that, then they'd be in the Challenge Cup final. They wouldn't even be able to play in the 1890s. Yeah. Like, why do the draw then? Yeah. I thought they closed down local radios. It's still going. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on it. So you must be. <laughs> no, I, I must say, uh, I listened to the, the York League game um, on, the, on the local radio, so it must have been. And exactly as you've just said nobody will remember the score it's how you get to the next round so full credit to Lee for overcoming having a player sent off early on going down to 11 men in the first half their second half against an admittedly weakened York side was incredibly professional and for all the Josh Chandler kept dropping the ball in the, se- in the first half when he needed to score in the second half he did um, the experience of people like Tom Briscoe and Zach Hardake Lachlan Lamb apparently didn't have a great first half ran the show in the second half that's all you need to do but again, so I, full credit to, to York for being ahead at half time for, yeah. for scaring a Super League team but it's a Super League team that wasn't so yeah, again I, I sound like a broken record but this top six inches <laughs> that has to have had, had an effect on Lee yeah. Yeah. I mean people last week were talking about how, it was just by how many and they'd scored 100 points against York last year and all the rest of it and I never thought it was going to be that sort of score to be honest but um, that has to have an effect on the players going into that game um, and I just think they thought it would be a reasonably comfortable yeah, especially when they looked at the York team I think had yeah. seven out that yeah. would normally be starters I think that the other thing that um, it raises the question of is will a part time team ever really be able to sustain an 80 minute performance against a full time team because you, you are going to be worn down purely by the fitness that the team playing at the higher division and the intensity they have to play at and the fact that they train every day of the week that, that even if tactically they are poor physically they're going to win that battle and is that not a counter to the suggestion that t- the Challenge Cup could go to a Champions League format where yes. you would have I don't know how the structure would work but you would have champion, a championship club I'm assuming in each of those groups who then have to play probably what two games? or maybe three games against Super League opposition so you're, you're potentially looking at three, yeah. one, two or three one-sided games and I think we've been talking about this for years on this podcast on various different outlets that it's gone about it's not about constantly changing the format in fact it's not even about changing the format it's about recognising that full-time and part-time is oil and water mm. and there isn't any reason why you couldn't have two Competitions that were equally as valuable that ended up at Wembley, but the teams don't meet each other. Um, you know, Batley are 80 minutes away from making Wembley for the first time in their history, which mm. would be astonishing. Mm. Um, it, it, if they hadn't played in the Challenge Cup this year, but you offered them a route to Wembley in the 1895 or what used to be the Northern Rail, whatever you want to call it, um, why isn't that as important, significant, valuable? Um, 
because we're not going to get the romance anymore and that was exemplified with York and Lee I agree but that's why they changed the structure again they come back to the structure they changed the structure a few years ago didn't they to reduce the uh, occasions where championship clubs would yeah. effectively play Super League because they came in around later Super League teams so I actually would say that they've already made that change yeah. and they don't really need to make no. another structural change to the competition leave it as it is Judging by crowds, I know it's not on season tickets, so, well, we've got two games where they weren't given an attendance for various reasons, but 8,000 at Hull, 9,000 at Wigan, you expect those crowds will be bigger when they meet again? Oh, well, we'll find out on, on Thursday, won't we, when the crowd will be bigger between Hull and Saints, obviously it's different for travelling well, teams, fans on a Thursday rather than a Saturday. 7,500 season yeah. ticket holders, so. I actually didn't think, considering how big, and we said this last week again, how big the stadium are, I didn't think it looked that bad. It sounded, it sounded good. good. That's yeah, the main that's thing. The thing. That's yeah. I, I've said before, and I, I think I've said on here, the amount of times you put the tennis on and it's the French Open or Wimbledon in the first few weeks, the amount of empty seats you see on the yeah, show, of course, mm-hmm. more at the French or US than Wimbledon. And that gets all this media coverage and everyone's going on about all these great British tennis players you've never heard of and never will again after this next fortnight. But no one says, oh, should should take Wimbledon off TV, apart from me. There were two good cup games. I mean, you know, no there, there, you know there was... Yeah, there was talking points in the whole game, mm. and then and and I thought the Wigan game was a cracking game. Mm. Crack, in, you know, in terms Couldn't of take the, your eyes no, it was a, just a, that's exactly what you want for a cup match. Yeah. And so the BBC were fortunate with the, with the two games that they got. No, well, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of Hulkauer and Salford, which I know was on Viaplay. <laughs> yeah. And if you subscribe, you could have watched it downstairs. Your wife was watching it. But the, pro- not the problem is, if you go to Hull, you, you, you can't. can't watch Hulkauer. That's the thing. Not got Viaplay in the KCOM, whatever it's called. They didn't. They had the test match on. Um, yeah. and it was Rovers anyway so they wouldn't have put it on even if they had but from what I understand Hulke uh, are putting a tremendous performance what a, what a result no, not just I know sorry, but the result yeah absolutely because I think again I think people were saying Salford were probably the favourites because Hulke were depleted Very so to get so. the result but again the performance I think was from the score on it I mean I haven't seen the game but from what I understand they were they were fairly dominant really there's something that Willie Peters has triggered there which is mm. probably working on the back of what Tony Smith started to do, because some of those players were, were Tony Smith's players, about belief, um, and it doesn't really matter who's playing in the shirt, this is how we're going to play, this is what playing for Hull KR means. I think George King epitomises that, and again, I've, I've seen on social media the break that he made where he went to like 60 metres up the middle and just got caught but set up a try. Um, the fact that, you know, again, they recruit, we talk of recruitment, they lose. Um, Lachlan Coop they lose Jack Walker they sign Tangi Zenon on loan who was the match winner for them mm. in this game they're losing Ryan Hall for a minor operation they've signed Fuad Yaha who's coming He's back from, fantasy, you know, to me that that you know, I'm not saying that Hull KR's recruitment is better than Warrington's what I'm saying is they, are, they have got their recruitment right that they're not only that, but they must have space in the cap to bring players yep. in, mustn't they? So and there's careful got, management of that. They've got investors as well mm. who are um, giving them uh, a, a, a rosier future in terms of how they're going to develop the club, uh, but also, I suspect, a little bit more money to to make sure the salary cap is spent to its limit. And they're keen on grabbing budget. all the headlines in the start of the season. He's out injured for another extended period of time. But yet Rowan Milne then comes in and dominates the game. So compare so. that to Warrington. Exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't want to stick the boot into Warrington. We'll come back to them in a minute. Stephen's asked us what we made of the sendings off. Uh, if you rewind, Stephen, you'll see what we said. <laughs> but generally, they're, they're all oh, the one, the one decision we didn't cover in oh. that game was the Brad Fash tackle, which... Yes. You know, th- those same whole FC fans that were having a go at Chris <laughs> Kendall for being utterly biased yep. for sending off Josh Griffin entirely justifiably didn't see them object to Chris Kendall not sending it off proved to be exactly the right decision well, in terms of the disciplinary yeah and I was watching the game and I I thought that they handled it correctly and then at half time Jamie Peacock and um, John Wilkin it was wasn't it I think yeah it was they were saying at half time that it should have been sent off and I was like what really I didn't get it because for me Fash is just in a tackle his arm doesn't move he falls, and it for me it was just accidental. And that, ultimately, that's how match review panel have clearly judged it. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think he got it right on the game. And that I, was I think that the thought on the media benches, which again is not a barometer of any knowledge whatsoever, was that they probably thought we should have had a sin in it um, because you only see it at normal speed. It was our side of the um, of the pitch, and it looked as though contact had been made with the head, even if it was unintentionally. And I think the thought around certainly the people that were on the radio that were discussing it at half time was he was lucky to get away with not getting a yellow card. As it turned out, exactly the right decision. Mm. But uh, you could you could see on social media everything from <laughs> between between he was correct or it was just a penalty to send him off and hang him. You know, like there yeah. was everything in between. So you know you have to be carded, I guess, when you look at that. Cyclops himself itself has a more unbiased view of rugby league uh, <laughs> people in the social media yeah. um, are we talking enough about Hull KR Salford now uh, I, I would have liked to have seen, seen more of no I've, I've seen the highlights <laughs> I've seen this I was just when I, when I heard the teams yeah. when we looked at the way Salford had played when you think that um, you know you're close to Wembley which is somewhere Salford had been and wanted to go back to because the year that they played there unfortunately for everybody there, was, there wasn't allowed to be a crowd I thought the way they were playing on a beautiful sunny afternoon um, with all their key players out there that they would be a side that would be in the semi-finals and possibly back on their way to Wembley um, so for Hull KR to win and win so comprehensively mm. It's just a huge credit to You can't see this at home, but I've got this lovely picture on my desk that I've been waiting to use for ages, which is from that final. It's like, oh, it's Richard Agar and Luke Gale. Remember Luke Gale? Remember Richard Agar? Yeah. yeah. I think that's after you'd asked him something and he, Luke Gale invaded the press conference. But uh, he's 35 this week, Luke Gale. So congratulations to Hull FC's Luke Gale. <laughs> if you've read the paper, you'll know why. If you're not, I don't know anything. <laughs> so Kevin has asked a rhetorical question because I know he knows the answer because he's put two question marks at the end of it and I think he knows we know the answer the money Warrington have wasted in recruitment the last eight years they just seem to panic buy or panic in renewing a player's contract and overpaying the panel's opinion who's responsible for this John by David for feature again um, the book stops whoever signs the checks part, part, I mean it, part of it is understandable that they've now gone two possibly three two and a half three generations since they've won what is now deemed to be the major prize they are they are understandably obsessed but to do that you've got to do it relatively quickly so you're always buying rather than developing but you look at every club who has won the grand final there is a core of talent that they have developed and I, if, if I have a problem with Warrington it's not their recruitment 
it's more that they don't give enough space to develop players and allow those players to come into the team and I've got you know Matty Ashton who I, I know they, they, they signed as a young player from, from Rochdale but they, you know Fewless didn't come through their system though did he it was no, a signing but young enough to be developed then yeah, into yeah. the Warrington way of doing yeah. it you know, uh, you know to- Toby King and uh, and George were, were signed from you know, Huddersfield's academy they, they don't develop players and I think if you don't develop players and you're prepared to wait the five six seven years it takes to, to to get a kid in your scholarship and through your academy and into your if we ever do have a reserve grade into your first team and into your culture and build a team around a core of kids that want to win together and come through together you're always you're always going to be wider than mark part of developing a player is not just playing in an academy is it he's no. actually playing in the first, in the first team, team and being yeah. given that opportunity Absolutely. to make a mistake and that's the whole purpose of having a yeah. system which is a playoff and, system and allowing them to make mistakes yeah but they don't have to win every game no that's but the, the thing about kids is they are not you know if, if if you feel you're under pressure to win every game to get to a grand final and win it you're not going to risk putting a young kid in who might cost you a game miss a tackle or misread a two on one or whatever it might be but unless you do that and they learn through those mistakes and you're prepared to take the time to get four or five of them through together you're not going to win anything no and Wigan, Saints and Leeds have proved that. They look at Castellano, was it like <coughs> last year they ended up in a force, I think, in a situation whereby, I think I refereed the game actually, they played Wigan the last round mm-hmm. of Super League and they were forced to field a really young yeah, side. Yeah, about 14. Yeah, but that, I think, and not just that one game. St Helens did that the other year when they played Castleford, I think. It, it, by doing that, you reap the benefits. Well, Tangi Zenon was one of the players mm. who was player of the match this week, playing for Hulk mm. It who played in that Catalan team. Yeah. Who's learning his trade and at some point may well take over from Sam Tonkins when he retires. Mm. But Warrington don't seem to want to do that. Jamie says, imagine if Wire would have kept hold of Harris and Scunthorpe. So if Yesin Harris had never gone to Leeds and then never gone to Reunion, would Bradford Bulls still be the original Bradford Bulls and not the new Bradford? Unintended consequence. Yeah. Chris says, could an unpredictable creative team like Leo Hulkings from Rovers lift the cup or will the mindset of knowing Wembley be decisive? I mean, I hope he wins. Obviously, got me five on them, haven't I? But um... semi-finals are very strange beasts. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them throws up what might be termed a surprise result. I think Hull KR will, depending on who they, they'll need as many of their frontline players mm. up. And the good thing for them is it's what five weeks away, so they might have a few back. Excuse me. Um, they're going back to Headingley, where in 2015 they beat a very. You know, Warrington team mm-hmm. were deemed to be very hot favourites. Um, so I think, you know, Holkow will not be phased by playing Wigan. They, they've oh, already, they be, they they beat already them. beaten them. They've beaten year. them, and then they just narrowly lost, didn't they? Yeah. So I, that to me is. I, I don't. If Saints bring their A game, yeah. Lee have now got, what, four players banned after this week. They, they will hit some injuries at some point. There will be some players who they'll need to rest who've played a hell of a lot of games already they are an ageing side and, and it'd be very interesting to see what depth they've got to cover that until we get to that week when that game's being played I wouldn't like to say but I, I do think Colquhoun will have a chance against Wigan mm. and Lee by the way Lee I've already beaten St Helens this year mm-hmm. so you know it can happen but I think St Helens probably weren't playing as well as they were no. it's fair to say at that at that stage than they are now So, but a lot can happen between as you rightly say between now and the, and the semi-finals uh, Wire says Chris I like Man United in the 80s trying to buy the league but only winning FA Cups the class of 92 changed everything so we've, we've got to wait for the class of whenever 
come through Warrington. Stephen has asked, what does Sir Phil... Are we on Boris's list or the King's? <laughs> this is the question. Oh, this is from last week. Because obviously it? there's one yeah. list was good and the other was, you know. Uh, what does he think about the ground improvements at Wakefield Trinity? Does he think there might be 14 teams in Super League next year? Stephen is clutching onto the same straws I am. Mm. These straws here. <laughs> no, I don't think there'll be 14 teams and, and I do think that what Wakefield are doing is absolutely commendable. We'll stand them in good stead wherever they are next year. I don't think this season is necessarily over for them yet anyway, but the fact that uh, the, the whole vista of the ground has changed. When you arrive on Doncaster Road, it, it looks and feels like you're building a proper facility there for the modern day, so hats off to them. Um, as we've mentioned, Sir Phil, uh, congratulations to all the people who got honours. It's not going to be like last, last year when uh, you, you put, <laughs> and well done Nigel. Uh, you can say because that, that was the most withering piece of criticism in the magazine there ever possibly could have been understatement <laughs> uh, John Dutton has got an OBE um, cyclist John Dutton cyclist John Dutton isn't it the case that whenever whenever somebody leaves this spot <laughs> yeah. they, they get, get an honour yeah. be that Nigel Wood be it, that Stuart Cummings I'm be surprised it wasn't John Dutton Sir Ralph Rimmer he was did, did um Sally Bolton get one after the last yeah, World Cup. OBE, yeah. Brian Barwick, did he already have one? I think he had one. I think he had it um, in his black book. John Dutton was tweeting about cycling speedway this Speedway without motors, just cycling. Is that what they're doing at. Oh, we need to talk about Oxford as well, Scott. Anyway, but four members of England's wheelchair rugby league team have been recognised. It says here in the Rugby League Express Captain Tom Halliwell of 4020 magazine has been given an OBE for services to writing columns. So that's good. <laughs> um, uh, Seb Bashara, James Simpson and Tom Coyd have got the MBE. Now, it's, a sad, it's sad, and this is not just in terms of the England women, uh, England wheelchair team, but also the women's Euros uh, Lionesses last year, when they gave out um, gongs to the... Gongs, like a right for the sun or something. Uh, <laughs> for the, the cricketers in 2005, because we haven't won the Ashes for years, and Paul Collingwood got an MBE just for turning up for the final test. Why don't they all get one these days? It's nonsense. Every Olympian gets one, winning gold in the underwater scuba diving. I'm canoeing. told that the model moved to the coach, the captain who gets elevated above the others, the best player in the tournament deemed by the DCMS, not England Wheelchair Rugby League. They, they Mad Nads had a, had a word, did you? Yeah, yeah. and um, obviously the, in James Simpson, that's more for services to the game, because although um, clearly he was in the World Cup squad, it's, he's retired after 10 years playing for the, for the country. So that's why they those people have got the, the honours that they have. I, I was uh, fortunate to meet James at Holly, who was there on, on Saturday to... To congratulate him, he still was talking about it's a team effort. Should he not have been doing no, the duping of the no, colour? He's been this fighting. one is for you, it's for what you it must brought be, to the game. Yeah, it must be quite difficult, though, in a way, to receive yeah. an individual yeah. honour when you yeah. play a team, especially sport. when he's a military guy as well. Yeah. And all of his life has been based around reliance on yeah. those around him. But incredibly proud. Um, mm. he, he, he said he's going to wear his military medals to go and pick up his, um, his, his MBE. It's um, like when when the radio awards come around every year and I, I, I care about it less than I used to do and you, you're proud when people you like win awards but then you think well these other people have won awards and they're gits and I don't really like them so it's a bit you've got a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth but at least these people they deserve them so yeah, that's that, good. They, more of them did deserve it does yeah. it have any podcast awards in Mexico sadly <laughs> no I mean there are podcast awards but you usually have to pay to enter them which is why we don't enter them I mean, again, I'm going back onto my computer. You can't see this. I started doing this last week. 
So I was going to build, put a thing on the ceiling. You can see your head there. Okay. Um, oh, and I can't find it now. But there, it, it, it was going to be like all those graphics you see these days with Man City won the Champions League and here's all the players it was going to be us three with the Mexican flag behind it <laughs> <laughs> I, I got, got is there a is there a can we get a scarf or a shirt or something the Mexican Mexican Titans in the women's championship we've also ongoing Weldon to Huddersfield who scored some points and the only team who lost is scored points where's Bella Sykes can someone tell me where she is because she's in the England Knights squad which again they shouldn't be called the Knights because as we asked Clint Goodchild at the start of the season why they're not York Knights anymore because it's you know they're out female knights so she's in the squad unattached she was at Huddersfield we spoke to at the start of the season where's she gone what's going on why does no one in Women's League say anything about anything um, but Huddersfield lost anyway to Wigan 46-10 uh, Lee, uh, Leeds beat Lee 54-0 I saw uh, she was there with a, I, I don't know if she was wearing a hat or not but she was there <laughs> a bucket hat um, York beat Cardiff 54-0 which I'm very sorry that I wasn't there yesterday to see um, and that was it's interesting to see how Cardiff go on against these teams mm-hmm. because they might be playing against them don't you and uh, St Helens beat Warrington 36-0 um, get well suddenly a Burke as we mentioned last week she's got an ACL injury which appears to be a thing in women's sport and I don't know why I'm sure someone will be doing research into it but it seems to be a thing that's happened so the semi-finals yes York the against St Helens see I know this is oh, a simple thing yeah, it's right. a simple thing I don't know why they don't do this on the telly as well but it says challenge cup just put the word men's at the front of it because then underneath you've got women's challenge cup the same thing uh, Leeds St Helens Hull KR Wigan and in the women's it's Wigan Leeds Saints and York which is obviously that's a biggie but we know when and where they're being played yes. as well so Leeds the women's Leeds team have yes. home advantage in a semi-final they do but Wigan will be playing in front of a load of supporters that have turned up to watch the men's I mean yeah. Wigan would have had to have agreed to that I yeah. would imagine um, but actually it works in their favour because if you know oh, they've got a big, there's yeah. going to be four or five thousand yeah. people there that will get, get yeah. there early to support both of the yeah. teams then that will partly negate it's at Headingley no I agree um, from that point of view it works doesn't it because you, you've effectively got a Wigan yeah. a Wigan curtain raiser semi-final and you've got a Saints women and a Saints Absolutely. men as well so yeah. in terms of again your television audience yeah. the more people you can get in there the better yeah. uh, London Halifax and York Batley in the 1895 Cup as well so Everyone's happy with the double headers. They've got the details out there fairly quickly this morning about them. So, weekend of rugby league on the BBC. Can't complain about that. Um, some people are concerned about the score lines in the women's quarterfinals, but I think they're all expect- as expected. Um, I think the bookies got at least one of them spot on. So, it is what it is. Seems credible to me. Yeah. Um, something else about this oh the Oddsall thing so you went to the uh, Oddsall Super Stadium home of Speedway or whatever it's stock car racing to see all of the penalties so obviously we now we should scrap this trial after 80 minutes because it was a complete failure film um, no, I think the key word is it was a trial. Um, I think <laughs> well, it, yeah, tri- we only believe in trials if they go our way nowadays. <laughs> you don't know this. I, I think um, one thing I thought coming back was that firstly the trial is absolutely valid, and we are in a sport that has always looked at change. And most of the time, that change has been around trying to make it a faster, more entertaining spectacle so that people will pay their money in a professional environment that keeps clubs going. This is 
for safety reasons. So it's it's a different imperative, but we've never been afraid to look at things or change things. If, you know, we, we went down to, to 13 men 10 years after we uh, we broke away from from Northern Union. Well, from Rugby Union, came Northern Union. So, you know, we've had red and yellow cards and four and six tackles and all that kind of thing. So this is the next road you go down to test whether we have to change the legislation around tackling and kickoffs so that some data can be gathered to then say it works, it doesn't work we'll move it into the community game or into the full time professional game you have to start somewhere so it's a trial that's how you, you know, that's the context behind it well Jamie's brought us the numbers so in that first right. game th- there were 50, 50, 57 penalties of which 49 were for tackles deemed to be above the armpit Hull FC St Helens 45 yeah Newcastle Wakefield 40 so there you go there's a trend immediately it's going down all three higher than my 37 that I gave in there. <laughs> you're outside you're outside the top I was a trailblazer so, so the thing the thing about it is I do believe these trials should have been played behind closed doors I think the, the difficult thing watching it at Oddsalt with a crowd of about 250-300 people is clearly the imperative for doing it and the reason for being there is slightly tainted by what you're watching mm. So it needs to be, you know, you go in there to watch an entertaining spectacle and you're seeing 57 penalties in 80 minutes. It's a big stop-start. The other thing, though, the other side of that is 82 points were scored. So it didn't mean that because there were 57 penalties, there wasn't any rugby. And as it happened, the team that offloaded the ball more won the game. And that happened to be the team that didn't have quite as many penalties awarded. So... Yeah, well, I suppose if you go with the stat penalty penalty try <laughs> well, in, well in, that, in that game it was penalty 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 try Every, I think there were only about four sets that didn't have a penalty and where the penalties tended to come in blocks cause, but then you know step back and look at it again the players have been taught for a month that the rules were going to change you're doing that in a very controlled training environment put them in the heat of battle and instinct yeah. takes over you then um, look at what the referees have got to do. Not only have they got to police everything that they would in a game, and it's, it tends to be younger referees in the academy, mm. but um, the young referee who I thought you know didn't let any of extraneous stuff um, phase him in any way whatsoever was wearing a camera. So again, I think that was so that it could all be filmed and mm. analysed later. I think th- there wasn't anybody saying he was getting the decisions wrong. The fans were saying there were just too many of them. <laughs> Um, and the referee would have hated that. Yeah, and the, the coach, players would have hated the it. The coaches sure. again are saying, you know, I've I've told you to sort of slow the play the ball down, mm. but now all the techniques I've told you, there's some of them you can't use anymore. Yeah. The other thing that that struck me as well was that if if as a coach, when you get used to how this is being played, you tell your players to duck into a tackle if they're carrying the ball. The target area means that that the tackler is almost invariably going to be hitting above the armpit. That's particularly if you're defending on your own line. So if you're a, a nippy little hooker or a scrum half and you're bending down and you're trying to get the ball, you're going to get hit in an area that is deemed to be illegal. So there might have to be some adjustments when we've looked mm. at it. Um, we didn't really, we didn't really see whether the 40 metre kickoff made a difference or not. Part of the reason for that, they didn't really have 40 metre lines <laughs> at Hudson. <laughs> I'm going to say they didn't have a better hold no, until they had um, to repaint um, the pitch. Yeah, oh dear. So, but the, the thing is, we have to do it. We ha- and we have to measure it, and we have to analyse it, and it will change. There's, there's 24 games, I think, in the, yeah. the whole trial, and analyse the data at the end. Not make a judgment on the beginning, um, but 
I spoke to a couple of the young players afterwards and let's face it we're bringing this in for them because we want them to have long and enjoyable safe careers and we don't want them to have any medical issues when they've retired and whilst they were again there were a couple of um, players I spoke to who played in pivotal positions and they were saying for them it was a bit too stop start but they understand and appreciate why it's being done and for that reason it's worth doing I just think we shouldn't have done it in public particularly the first game mm, quite possibly because there, there were media there there were reporting on it um, and and Odsall is full of uh, dust. dust. Jamie's mentioned they should have been played pre-season. Academy players are playing for contracts and development. Was was the reason why it's I been I introduced mid-season? I don't think the research was at a level where they could have brought it in any earlier. I mean, the, it is. I mean, again, I would assume when, that coaches know how good players are. When yeah, and when, when you listen to Professor Ben Jones and. Um, some some of the the medical advice that's brought into that they've now got a, a a brain I can't remember the, the exact name but a, a committee that looks at the the a brain committee a, well it doesn't sound right does it <laughs> who's on the brain uh, yeah committee? I don't want to know who's yeah, on the brain well committee. I can tell you it's in the paper let me <laughs> yeah um, and to pass an IQ test to get as as oh, yes. it's in the magazine it's not in the paper an IQ score of yeah I wrote it I just can't yeah. remember what I wrote I'll it's, tell you it's, in there, it's the HIA um, equivalent of <laughs> the brain health group thank you yeah. which brain. includes <laughs> such as Dennis Spets and John Wilkin both have names that are spelt differently than how you'd think insurers Bartlett's and doctors Jimmy Phillips and Chris Brooks there yeah you go and, and it's it's led by Professor Bren, uh, Ben Jones from uh, Leeds Beckett. So I think that, as he said, you know, you you want to rush these things in and do the trials, but you've got to get a point in the research where he, he said they had numerous things they could have done and they narrowed it down to two. Yeah. And the academy agreed to trial it for them, so you couldn't do it pre-season, I don't think. And it won't be instantaneous. You know, the, the last game won't finish and they'll go, right, this is what we're doing. No. They'll take it away, they'll analyse yeah. it, um, they'll talk to the referees. I think they're, they're absolutely vital. I think Marcus Griffiths, I think, is mentoring some of the referees that are going to be doing these games. Um, he was there on that Thursday night just to make sure that the match referee didn't have to do any media and talked about why they were doing it and, and what they were hoping to get out of it. And clearly, in terms of the litigation that is around at the moment, we have to be seen to be doing it. And it might be another trial that comes off the back absolutely. of this because it'll be informed from the data that's come out of this. So, yeah, I think. It's, you can't draw conclusions off, no. the, off, the, off the first game or the first couple but of games. say, everybody talked about the 57 penalties, there were 82 points as well. Mm. So It's not changing rules for the sake of changing rules. No. It's just to annoy people. In the Championship this week, because that was on, uh, which you may have missed out because it was in the Challenge Cup week, uh, Barrow beat Witness 26-18. Witness are suffering at the moment. Mm. Mm. In a bit of a sort of Yeah, they are. They're falling down the ladder, aren't they? Uh, Bradford and Halifax do 22 all everyone loves a draw there's no golden no point golden point and I think Bradford scored 8 points in about the last 5 minutes is what mm. was the draw and they signed Lee Gaskell and they've re-signed Lee Gaskell yeah, released from the team who were at the bottom of Super League and didn't want him so great signing for Bradford Featherson beat London 50 points to 6 Newcastle won a match well done Newcastle you've now won 2 games uh, they draws Casely into it yeah 18-16 I mean, this is where York, their game in hand when they have to play midweek is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because they're level on points now with Keighley and only two above Swinton who were beaten by Batley 48-6. Keighley have got an enormous game this weekend. Against one yeah, I'm, I'm against going Wyatt. to that game. Um, 
guests of the club for the because that's their not pride. Playing, are you? Uh, no, I'm not playing, <laughs> and I'm certainly not refereeing. Um, so I'd be safe to get into my car, I think, on the way home. Hopefully, um, but it's their pride annual pride game, so I've been invited to go along. So Written was, about, yes, yeah. So Stephen and I, and, and we're taking Harris. We'll, we'll enjoy the, the afternoon. But as you rightly say, on the field, it'll be suddenly it's a massive game. I was trying to explain this to Stephen and press upon him the importance of the game. I think it, it washed over him. <laughs> it was just my concern. Did you show him the league? Time? They would have Look, uh, New Zealand there, Sauvignon there, in the bar, and yeah, you know, yeah. well, it's far more. I mean, as we know, this it's all about hospitality. Good man, yeah, yeah. good man. Uh, but no, Are massive games. Yeah, yeah. Do they have? They have them keenly. Uh, Toulouse beat Sheffield forty-eight ten. Well good, done, re- good result for Toulouse. And well done, Sheffield for uh, jumping on the full Monty bandwagon and re-releasing their kit that was shown in the film. That might sell some shirts. It's like that's clever marketing. Um, you, you've written about pride in the magazine then and, and we have a ramshackle uh, feeling about everything we do so Armed Forces Week seems to go on for about three months in the rugby league no one knows when to have a heritage round or a charity shirt or this and that and the other and certainly I mean I remember the immediate reaction to Izzy Falau signing for Catalans is Wigan came out and said right, we're gonna, right when we play Catalans we're going to have a pride match this is what we're going to do and obviously it didn't happen because of Covid can, can as a sport knowing everything we know about people involved in it can we have a pride round can that work well I think it can it happens in football it happens in rugby union um, they have them in, in cricket they have sort of matches I think the way the, the RFL seems to have gone with this this year is that they've sort of allowed clubs to choose their games when they're going to have these sort of events Inclusion rounds, yeah, inclusion rounds, but they the inclusion games as opposed to a round. And I, for me, I think it has a, a much more uh, it's much more impactful when the whole competition draws together to deliver a message, whatever that message may be, whether that's armed forces or whether that's you know pride for you know for the month of June or rainbow laces campaign or whatever it may be. For me, in my my view is, I think you know the collective is usually stronger. Uh, you know, you're right. In terms of Israel Folau, it was disappointing that Wigan then didn't have uh, an event, even though that original fixture didn't take place. So, you know, my disappointment with the Rainbow Laces campaign was that they introduced it and then it just all died a death and was not 30, heard of since. Thirteen seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, they have thirteen seconds now, don't they? But they obviously don't take a knee. It sort of became this sort of. A 13 second period where I don't know people really, people don't that. really know what to do we barely get that now mm. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to word this thing carefully because I got in trouble before on this programme not from people but from the RFL <laughs> um, because I thought we bottled the taking the knee thing and wake up the club completely screwed it up didn't they um, in that game at Eddingley and then we had to have mandatory diversity training that was fun for me on teams um, there are obviously people who aren't going to want to support it for whatever reason so how well, much fun <laughs> well at least you can sell him some flags to burn at least he makes some money off it how do we do something where we know there will be not a backlash to it, that's the wrong phrase, but there will be opposition in varying levels to what I think that's I think that's so difficult, isn't it? And it was a minefield trying to navigate that through 
through that time when you know some players would take a knee, some players wouldn't, um, and people were then being pilloried because they didn't or they did, and and I don't know is the answer. That is, that is the difficulty in it. And I think you know <clears throat> in terms of sort of a rainbow laces type round, and it doesn't have to be that. But they, when they did it before, players were given the laces, and it was up to the players that if they want to wear them, they can. If they don't, they don't, and that's absolutely fine. I get that. It doesn't have to be just about wearing a pair of laces. It's about making a, an event of it and that might be something that you do off the field it doesn't necessarily need to involve the players is what I'm trying to say so it doesn't have to be a one in all in mentality and obviously that's where the NRL encountered difficulties with Manly didn't they mm-hmm. um, you know and, and the players didn't want to play and we've seen that in other sports in football more recently I think in, in France haven't we you know by the way I don't get that I don't get this issue of about religion supposedly stopping you and I think interestingly today the mayor in Keithley, mm. interesting because it's their pride game. He's he's basically suggesting he's now going to have to resign because of his comments because he appeared with a, pli- a pride flag and then apologised for appearing with a pride flag. <laughs> basically, he said someone he put this flag in my hand. Offended his religion by doing so, and in doing so, he's now had to resign. So, look, it's a minefield, it is, and it's it this this whole woke business that people talk about is a nonsense in terms of that phrase being battered about. Look. It's about being respectful to one another. That's it. Um, and I think, look, you have to respect in people's individual circumstances and views and beliefs. And look, if somebody doesn't want to participate in it, they shouldn't be forced to do something. So it doesn't, for me, it doesn't have to be that everybody has to wear a pair of rainbow laces or everybody has to take a knee. Having said that, clubs like, I think it was St Helens and Huddersfield, I think were two of the teams that did yeah. unanimously take a knee. And I think that was largely because of players within that squad addressed their squad yeah. about the about their feelings on the subject yeah. so where there was player buy-in you got the whole team buying in and why wouldn't you because it's a team sport absolutely so in the same way that you know now I'm working at CBRE for this this month I, I spoke to my colleagues in in my office about my personal experience of coming out and the abuse that I'd received as a, as a gay man and that was an impactful story for people in that office and they you know a number of individuals came up to me and spoke to me afterwards and said you know how interesting it was and and how much they'd sort of learnt from it and I'd learnt things preparing the article that I did this month and preparing that presentation and just because I'm gay doesn't mean I know all the facts and figures around (laughs) pride you know so it's about just learning and helping each other and supporting each other in whatever it may be so I don't know. I think sometimes people sort of jump on bandwagons. But I, to, to Keithley's credit, if they can do it, any club can do it. Yeah, and honestly, I, when I went last year for the first time, it was enlightening. You had people from every possible age range um, just joining in and enjoying it. It was just a family atmosphere. Enjoying it for what it was yeah, as well. It was just a was bit a of fun. There yeah. was a drag queen in the in the hospitality room where we were. It was hilarious. It was just a bit of light-hearted fun, and sometimes people get a little bit too serious about these things. And if that opens up a new audience, then so be it. You know, I mean, you look, you look at the it's areas like Batley, for example, yeah. about and, 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 and perhaps Oldham, maybe another club and, and others, where actually tapping into that local population is really what the future of the club should be. And isn't that what inclusive in its widest sense should mean as well? Absolutely. That you're not excluding anybody. It no. doesn't have to include everyone, no. but you're not excluding anyone. No. I don't know what to say after all. <laughs> I, I feel like I should come up with some glib comment about drag queens or something you know, I've mentioned. <laughs> but 
Man U, I have mentioned that there's no chance of getting a rugby league player on um, Celebrity Masterchef until they, they drag up. They've got queens <laughs> everywhere these days. They, 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 for years they weren't on telly, now they're everywhere again. Yeah, and, uh, look, for me, like, actually, RuPaul's Drag Race, which is huge, I hate it. I don't watch it. <laughs> no, Steve, you have to like no, that. Exactly. You, like you don't have to. Do, no, you know, Stephen loves it. I hate it. <laughs> you know, we're different. People are different. Uh, so just because you're gay doesn't mean you have to like RuPaul's Drag Race. People are different. Or Frankie yeah. Goes to Hollywood. Yeah. Probably a cultural reference again outside <laughs> of Who were brilliant, by the way. Put them on YouTube. <laughs> In League Two tribes. Jewsby <laughs> uh, beat. Mike, Mike Reed's going to ban it or something. Oh, that's relaxing. E- even more reason to find it on yeah, YouTube. <laughs> not that Mike Reed. Jewsby uh, Rams beat Rochdale 42 0. Hunslet beat Godwall 36 6. The jarring. Uh, nature of this programme let's jump from topic to topic North Wales 62 Midlands 24 Oldham 22 Doncaster 28 sounded like a great game yeah, yeah that was the big game in the league one wasn't it and uh, Workington 34 London 6 that was all the results this weekend in football in rugby whatever it is Women's yeah. 9th on Saturday at, so that's at, at the Salford at City the no longer AJ Bell but Salford mm. City Stadium Big game in League One, though, there, Dewsbury Oldham again mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. isn't it? That's a big game. So, th- wasn't that a draw a couple, few weeks yes. ago? Yes. And yeah. that was the game where they let everybody in for free and it was a sellout at mm. the Vestica. I think Dewsbury played on Friday night as well. I don't know, that's two consecutive yes, weeks yeah. where they played on a Friday night. I'm not sure why. Maybe they, maybe that's a good night for I don't know. It's, now the football what else season goes on in Dewsbury on a Friday night? <sighs> yeah, probably. Well, not a lot goes on a Sunday afternoon, never mind a Friday night. <laughs> um, Hull St Helens on Thursday, Friday, then it's Cass Warrington. Uh, Hulk in our Wakefield uh, and Leeds, uh, Leeds Huddersfield on TV that's a great pick for Sky mm. I think that's the game of the weekend yeah. not because um, it may necessarily be the best game in terms of the rugby <laughs> I'm sure it won't but, be <laughs> my word there'll be some nerves Drama. There. Yeah. Drama. somebody's season ends the loser of that game seasons and employment I hope not well I mean I hope not as well I'm just you know I've, I've but yeah it. the clamour for yeah um the head of the losing coach will be enormous after that game. Sheffield Although the last game they played was eighteen seventeen, so this could be a draw after goal. In fact, they have had a draw after Golden Point. Is one yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Sheffield Newcastle on Friday, along with Dewsbury Oldham. Saturday, it's everything in France. Catalans Lee and Toulouse Bradford. So there you go. You can watch the, the women's nines in, in Salford because there's nothing else on. And in, on Sunday, Salford Wigan, and in the Championship, Batley London. Halifax Barrow Keithley Whitehaven Witness Swinton York Fev and in League One North Wales Hunslet don't know where that will be played do we I, I guess not uh, maybe that's uh, Nant Conway again I don't know uh, and uh, working to Midlands so lots of rugby league going on this week for us to talk about next week I think I'm going to go to Bellevue on Sunday uh, to see Wakefield versus Hull KR the women's champion because I've not been to see them this year and uh, I feel like I should I feel like I'm weighing them down by by not going to see them you so, can't uh, you can't wear the shirt and not go and support no I know So oh well the Wales winning the Celtic Cup as well in wheelchair life. yeah we spoke about the uh, I've, I've, I've taped the Welsh version of the one shirt to write about in the magazine but I realise there's no subtitle. I haven't taken the subtitle <laughs> So I'm hoping. I've not watched it. I'm hoping it's someone Google comes Google Translate. Yeah, I'm hoping someone speaks English at some point. But, uh, <laughs> you have watched the football on BBC Album, which I know you don't do, but they'll have the commentary on them. The commentary will be purely in Gaelic. 
but then the summariser speaks in English halfway through. It's it's weird. Sounds a bit like BBC Radio Merseyside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that bombshell. Anything else you haven't mentioned? No. Right, we're done. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, we'll get some flags up and stuff. Um, and are you, you going to come in track next week, Phil? I'll try. I'll have Max to have a shave. Well, it's been no, you don't I need to. Kenny you don't Everett. need to have a share. Kenny Everett. It's all in the best. I was going to say yeah. Cupid stunt. No, I didn't. Well, we start as we finish. I once won a uh, fancy dress prize working in Mustang Sally's in Wakefield, dressed as a, uh, as a nurse. So that was that was good. Oh, that we've all done that. that. But <laughs> I haven't. Haven't you? <laughs> oh, I've been in a flower bed dressed as a nurse. <laughs> That's another stuff. <laughs>